I'm Natalie Siston. And I'm Joy Schwartz. We are The The Collective Collective Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. This is Natalie to introduce today's episode. Whether you are looking for motivation to start your own business or to get serious about your health, you will get insight on both topics in this episode. Joy interviews Betty Murray, co-founder of Living Well Dallas, an integrative medicine facility. Joy is also now staff at the organization. You will learn about Betty's transition from corporate America to her entrepreneurial venture. She explains her well-thought-out process, along with the accompanying bumps and bruises she experienced while growing the organization. More than anything, you will get a glimpse of what treating the whole person looks like at Living Well Dallas. I challenge you to practice one new thing after listening to this episode. Whether it's a small dietary change or an effort to reduce your stress, I know you'll be motivated after you've heard this discussion. Let's get to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Collective Voice, which we're calling Serious About Health. This is Joy Schwartz, and I'm joined by Betty Murray, Functional Medicine Nutritionist and Institute for Functional Medicine Certified Practitioner, specializing in autoimmune, digestive disorders, and complex health issues. Betty is one of the co-founders of Living Well Dallas, an integrative and functional wellness center designed to provide full-service, science-based, lifestyle, and functional medicine practices all under one roof. Services are customized to the individual client and intended to address specific underlying causes versus covering underlying symptoms. Betty is also the author of the book, Cleanse, Detox Your Body, Mind, and Spirit. She is also a speaker, lecturer, and TV guest covering health-related issues. And I'm excited to share that Betty is one of only 300 certified functional medicine practitioners in the U.S. And I personally am also grateful to be part of the multidisciplinary Living Well staff as a licensed professional counselor intern. And before I let Betty go on and introduce herself, I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit more context on my personal experience with Betty and living well. My husband's aunt is an anesthesiologist who clued my local family and I into functional medicine and the living well Dallas model. I personally have benefited from Betty's vast knowledge of nutrition, dietetics, and strategies for applying dietary discipline in my own life and career transitions. She coached me during stressful times and through all stages of my pregnancy and beyond. Between my work with Betty and applying guidance from one of the functional medicine doctors on staff, I'm now aware of what foods, namely yeast and gluten, lead to inflammation and digestive issues for me personally. I'm back to my pre-pregnancy weight. I'm free of annoyances like minor infections and dry eyes, and I have an abundance of energy, no more fatigue. So before I completely turn this into a commercial, uh, Betty, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Natalie, my podcasting partner, and I always ask our guests to share just a little bit about themselves before we dive into our interview questions. So thank you so much for having me. I uh, thoroughly enjoy talking about living well and, and uh, oddly enough, a little bit about kind of how I got to, to functional nutrition and even just thinking about living well. And I think probably a lot of your listeners would say this. I was in corporate America, and I had actually been diagnosed with colitis um, and nutrition and exercise was the thing I did in my free time. You know, I read about it, and uh, so I was always interested in it, but I'd never really looked at it as, as a career choice. But when I was told I was going to go on biologic drugs 
and that I was looking at a lifelong problem with potential infection and early death from taking those medications, I really felt like I had to do something about it, so I started looking at nutrition. So I ended up going to school, taking classes, and was like, oh my God, this is what I should be doing. So you know, fast forward, so 13 years later, after getting out, you know, I've been in practice. So you made a complete career pivot, you know, based on your own person, the status of your own personal health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wouldn't say that was always the smartest thing to do financially. <laughs> go back to school, run up a bunch of debt, and then go open a wellness center. But, but I, I had such conviction of what mm-hmm. I had learned and what I thought I could apply that I just knew that I had to do it. So, Well, and we talk about, on this show, we've talked about fear and taking risks and, and maybe how to be planful or calculated about some of those risks. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are really interested in transporting some of their own corporate background and those skills that they've learned and that achievement motive into something more altruistic or health oriented. So maybe you can just talk about a couple of the steps you took to to make that sort of transition. What did that really entail? You know, I had I had a very stressful, high-powered job uh, when I decided to go back and take classes. And originally, like I said, it was just, I'm going to take a few classes and figure this out. So then I started into the master's program, and I actually even, I went to a master's program, and I also uh, did a, a uh, program that was in New York that has since been put online now, so it was online, but I flew back and forth to New York every oh, wow. three weekends for a year. Um, luckily, I had a lot of mileage from traveling, being a road warrior prior to that in corporate America. There you go. Um, but what was, what was really great for me um, was that I had that corporate background, so I had been on multiple sides of the business, so I knew I could at least apply what I already knew. Uh, and then the other part is it took me years to get to where I was at the point where I was finished with my program. And, I mean, I worked for four years while I went to school at the same time. I didn't say, oh, sure. I'm, yeah, I didn't drop one for the other because, you know, you have to plan for your family. And then the other part of it, we did a lot of choices in our personal lives to conserve expenses because I knew I was going to open a facility. So I was going to be the primary funder of that facility. Right. Right. So, so the other side of it was also being prudent with finances and things like that. So I would have resources to be able to do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, so, so it really was, it may have looked cavalier to other people, but it was a long, thought-out, process-driven plan. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we feel unhappy or unmotivated or we know we want to make that change, we're, we're afraid because we know it'll take a long time and we know it involves making some difficult choices. But um, I guess what advice would you give others around kind of instilling some of that discipline to go down that path? And, you know, I think... I think anything that you really grow from is going to have to be a little bit of a struggle, right? We don't grow from life being super easy, right? You know, it'd be awesome if we did, but we don't. So, so when it feels like it's going to be too difficult or too daunting or it's going to put too much stress on your family, you know, you have to look at all those things, but then you have to, have to also realize that it's usually the greatest stressors we have in life that cause the greatest growth. And so if you look Absolutely. at it that way, just say, okay, you know, be prudent about it, but realize that going through that pain of whatever it is that you don't really maybe want to do because it means it you know might change your lifestyle is when you get on the other side often the payoff is much greater absolutely and not to put you on the vulnerability hot seat here mm-hmm. but when you look back on that time you know before this establishment was in, in motion where what was a time or two that you thought oh my gosh I don't know if I can keep doing this but now you look back and say what a period of tremendous growth Oh. You know, one or two instances that come to mind for you about, you know, when you 
thought you might throw in the towel or, oh, maybe this is just too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, those those experiences weren't when I was still in corporate America, but it was right shortly after we opened the facility. Because, you know, everybody goes, I'm going to go save up some money. I'm going to open my own business. Well, it's one right. thing to open a business in your own house. It's another thing to open a physical space. Right. The storefront is yeah. a big difference. It's a big difference. And it's and it's a lot more expensive and a lot more time. And when we ran into that, um, we opened our multimodality center in 06. I'd been in practice since 05. Um in 08, when the market took a nosedive, we had mm. taken on a investment partner that really lost a lot of money, and they pulled out of uh, out of our agreement with us and left us hanging. Right? Oh my gosh! With the significant amount of things we had committed to debt wise, and so you know, at that point, I'm looking at it and I'm tapped out. I'm not a trust fund child. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't have any money. Can't go to the banks. The banks just failed. Right. right? So we had to get really creative for a very long time. Right, mm-hmm. and we were on the cusp of this extraordinary growth. Actually, '08 and '09, we had exponential growth, but but we had to go into that with absolutely no budget for anything, right? Absolutely, and and really struggle. So you know, at that at that breaking point where you're like, oh my gosh, I they're gonna come and like repo my car, <laughs> which wasn't really true, but that's how it feels, right? You feel yeah. like that. Yeah, you wouldn't have that. It, I was just like, we persevere, we figure it out, we do whatever it takes to stay open, you know, right. and so we went from a very small company to, you know, like a second, seven figure company, so, but it's, you have to, you have to sometimes go through that pain. Yeah, and you said that there was a, an extreme period of growth in 09, and, and we'll go back in a minute and kind of talk about the model and, and how that all evolved, but what was it that contributed to that growth, or what were some of those factors? You know, I think, you know, there's a couple things. So we didn't know when we opened and when we discussed the model, it'll make a lot of sense, that we took for granted that what we thought medicine should be was part of the collective consciousness. You know, sometimes when you're <laughs> sometimes when you're so far ahead of the world, you're like, of course people think that food should be healthy. Right. And um, so we, we really had to spend a lot of time just educating the marketplace. Nobody knew what functional medicine was, you know. Right. Eating healthy was kind of a concept, but it wasn't nearly what it is today. And so, you know, uh, some of it was just grassroots effort of being out and marketing and, and educating. We chose to do a lot of education and still do. Um, and so, so for us, some of it was just being in the marketplace in three or four years of hard work. Yeah. The other part is there's, there was a slow transition of people starting to recognize that medicine is broken, that pharmaceuticals are not the answer, and that, that I, th- I believe that, that consciousness turning point was started in 2009 and hit a groundswell in 2011. People right? had hit rock bottom, probably financially, vocationally, and, okay, now it's time to just reassess my whole life situation. Exactly. And maybe that opened the door for your model. Exactly. So let's maybe talk about health first, and then we'll get into the living okay. well model. And we could spend a lot of time talking about what healthy is, but right. just to give our listeners a little bit of a foundation... You know, when I think about um, healthy, I used to think I was a healthy eater because I was, you know, Weight Watchers graduate and, you know, lost weight and ate relatively well, you know, lean meats and fruits and vegetables and exercise, but there's so much more to it. So how do you address some of those common misconceptions about what healthy is? Right. And maybe that gets into our food system a little bit too. Sure, sure. So so I, th- I would say the first thing is, is there's some very great fundamentals when it comes to being healthy. And we are what we eat, drink, think, breathe, live, right? So the first yeah. thing is is you have to kind of hit all of those, and that, that includes our relationships and all those other pieces. So you can't eat a great diet and have a hellish work environment <laughs> and have a relationship that's not working and be healthy, 
Right. It's now you sound like a therapist. It's, but it's true. So, <laughs> and in the same respect, you right. can't have all those things and eat cheeseburgers, French fries, and pizzas every day and maintain a healthy body. So all of, we can't extract our, our body, mind, spirit from the physical. But when we look at like foods, so if we take nutrition as a whole, there's some fundamentals. Organic foods are healthier mm-hmm. for you. Foods in their natural form, we don't find toast growing on the side of the road. So it needs to be the way it comes from the planet. You know, um, drinking clean water, not drinking calories. Um, those kind of things are very fundamental, right? So even if somebody didn't want to do anything more than just say, I'm going to eat real food, they're going to see a, a, a significant change in their health, right, over time. But then when you get into uh, maybe somebody who might be dealing with a health condition, Food is also a messenger to our cells, our body, our hormones, and the combination of foods that we eat, the the types of food we eat, when we eat it, how we eat it, and what mindset we eat it have different implications on your hormones, things like insulin that increases fat storage and and growth hormone and all that other stuff. So even though somebody might be eating a low-calorie diet, you know, to lose weight, they may be giving the wrong hormonal messages to their body that underlying will damage the metabolism long term, which is what you see with many of the very famous and popular diet plans, is you rebound because you end up with a broken metabolism. Because it's not sustainable and because the source of the the nutrients is not ideal to begin with. Right, right. So, and when you talk about, you know, all those other systems and kind of the eating things that are naturally naturally grown, you hear things about eating on the outside of the grocery aisle and how those things are a little bit more, a little safer, a lot safer. Um, why are we in the state that we're in? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a little bit better schooled in some of this than mm-hmm. others, but, you know, why are we in the state we're in with people being so healthy, unhealthy in this country and having so many disorders and diseases? I mean, what's, what is at the root of that nutritionally? Nutritionally. So, yeah, so shopping the perimeter of the grocery store means really shopping from the fruits, vegetables, animal proteins along the outsides. You'll notice that all the junk food is in the middle of the store, right? right? And, and so part of the reason why that's in the middle of the store is that's a driving part of our economy. Big food is almost as big as big pharma, right? And, and those companies are not building food for your health. They're building food that moves money and makes money for the stockholders, right? It's a business. Absolutely. And so, and so the first thing we have to realize is when things come in a package label or box, those are economic drivers for stockholders, not economic drivers for your body. Right, so yeah. so we have to look at it that way. The other side of it is also many of those foods have things like genetically modified organisms in it, which are foods that have never existed on the planet before, and we don't understand how they're changing our foods. They alter proteins inside the foods, which increase allergenicity and many many other things. Um, you know, so we have kind of Franken foods that have made it <laughs> into our into our food supply, and the American public has been duped by marketing into thinking that. These foods that are packaged and processed are real food and that they're going to do something for them. Like the oatmeal was the first one that actually received some sort of allowable to make a medical claim on a box. And it was oatmeal lowers cholesterol. Well, when they did the study on oatmeal lowering cholesterol, and mind you, any fiber would do this. It has nothing to do with oatmeal. Only lowered cholesterol seven points. So you think somebody that has a cholesterol of 350 is going to get any benefit from a seven-point decrease? No. No. Right, so there's a lot of marketing claims and things being done to dupe the American public into stupidly following these brands and these foods, thinking that they're eating healthy, right? 
and we allow it, even Whole Foods. I mean, I, I buy organic foods, but Whole Foods does a great job of, of building this marketing machine behind even their packaged foods. It's like, well, it's gluten-free and it's organic, but it's a cookie. And I'm like, it's still a cookie. Right? <laughs> you, know, so, you know, so we have to realize that we're being duped by the marketing. And those foods, while they may bring pleasure sometimes, they don't bring the body nutrient density, which is the problem. They're, they're calories, but they're not nutrient-dense. Right. Your real foods are nutrient-dense. And so we probably know some of this on a cognitive level, right? Mm-hmm. But there's an emotional level or an emotional component to eating. Oh, yeah. Um, and so for someone who's wanting to make that shift, where do they even start? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is to recognize, you know, nobody gets in their car at, at midnight to go get a head of broccoli. It's never going to happen. But we will get up and go get, like, Cheerio. Yeah, Rom's you know, ice cream. Well, ice if they were cream. open at that hour, maybe. Yeah, we go get ice cream or something like that. So food... So food, particularly in our culture, and you can't extract culture from the experience of food. Right. Food in our culture, often we're trained that that's how we show love, that's how we experience, you know, um, any kind of celebration. And so food starts to take on a, um, a replacement role for other areas in our life mm-hmm. that may or may not be working or we may not be aware of or, or that we're, we're using this as kind of our drug of choice. And so if somebody's really struggling with that, I think the first thing is to recognize that everybody does it, right? Because I have people come in all the time like, well, you know, I fell off the wagon. Like, they're the only ones that are going to do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. everybody does it. We call it eating our feelings. Yeah. 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 Like, I hear from men a lot. Well, I don't emotionally eat. And I'm like, okay, so when you sit down to a football game, what are you eating? I have to have my beer. I have to have my nachos. Yeah, exactly. Or, I'm like, it's an emotional eating thing. You're connecting the experience of what you're doing to the food like that they are combined, and they aren't. So how do you counter that? Yeah, so I think countering it, I mean, it's part of the reason why we have mental health experts in our office, right? So, so we, we, you have to sometimes look at it cognitively, behaviorally, emotionally, yep. and then I often look at it from the biochemical standpoint, is there ways that we can change your eating to, to de-emphasize those foods? So, for example, sugar is something most people use as a replacement item for sweetness in their life, right? Mm-hmm. So the more sugar you eat, the more sugar you want. So if, if we're looking at it from a willpower standpoint, if we slowly start to replace that sugar with the healthier options, maybe we're doing more fruits to begin with, adding more vegetables, drinking more water. Or maybe you're taking care of your life in a way that yeah. allows you to not need the sugar so much. That too, right. So we look at it from a chemistry standpoint, like reduce the amount of it you're having over time, replace it, not just take it away, but replace it with something more valuable. And at the same time, you're working on, you know, why is this food playing a role that's inappropriate? Right. right. Then, then, then you get really a, um, I think, a much more effective change of behavior that also doesn't feel like a struggle. Right. right? It becomes a, it becomes more sustainable when you take it kind of one step at a time. Right. And I didn't pay you to say anything about the healthcare prof- uh, <laughs> practitioners on staff, um, given that I'm in the mental health realm. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. But uh, maybe that's a good segue into kind of that mind body relationship kind of inner working mm-hmm. dynamic. And without Spoiling the secret sauce of your book, um, Cleanse, can you tell us a little bit more about the the interplay between those different factors and where you've seen uh, people kind of toggle between each of the different components as it relates to creating more overall sustainable health? Right. So so most people consider starting kind of at the gross level or the body level, right? So the foods we have have impact on every biochemical process. So everything that happens in our body is driven by a biochemical process. Think of it as kind of making a cake or something. There's a, there's a bunch of ingredients that have to go in to make it. The quality of those ingredients are driven by the foods that we eat. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if we don't have enough of the right materials to make our serotonin so we're happy, or we don't have the right materials to make our hormones so we have a libido, we're going to have a problem, right? Right. So, so you go at the biochemistry level, what we eat and all those other things have impact on whether that chemistry works. Then if you step out of it and then take another step back and go to kind of the, the mind part of it, so what we're thinking about and what we're experiencing um, drives our chemistry. So our body chemistry actually responds to either conscious or unconscious thoughts that you have, right? So your experience of depression and anger is driven by a thought you have or something right. you say, not right. the chemistry first, right? Yep. So again, they start to interplay. So what we say to ourselves and what we think about and the stress that we allow in our lives and how many times we give up our boundaries and all these other things drives repetitive thoughts and angry thoughts and all that other stuff, which chews up our body chemistry, and then all of a sudden you need more serotonin. You're not eating well. Guess what you don't have enough of? Right. Right? And then from a spiritual aspect, and I'm talking about it from not so much a religious aspect, but just a, a sense of we have our body, we have our mind, and we have this other observer experience that is, can fit into whatever anybody's spiritual intention is. But, but we have a purpose, I think, in life, and there's a connectedness between everything on the planet. And, and I think a lot of the times when somebody feels very, very disconnected is where we also start to see, you know, we start making different food choices. We start experiencing other emotional state experiences because of a, a feeling of disconnect. You yeah. know, like if you look at all the research with how much we use social media now instead of real connections, yeah. we're connected more by our devices, but more disconnected than we've ever been. Yeah, Natalie and I have spoken about that on this podcast specifically, actually, that there's no replacement for the human interaction and interface. Right, right. So so the spirit part of it plays a role in it, too, and the expression right. of that and the acknowledgement of that and slowing down and whether you meditate, pray, I don't care what it is. Right. It's like all of those things go together, and so to me, you have to kind of put a little bit of time and effort into all pieces in order to really truly be healthy. Yeah, and it's hard to find that that ideal balance, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about, first talk to me about kind of the the, the mix of people that are part of the, the center here at Living Well Dallas, the multidisciplinary approach that is taken to health. And it's, it's a revolutionary model, right? Typically we think, okay, something's wrong with me. I'm going to go call my GP, right. you know, my general practitioner, or just my therapist, or just my chiropractor, or whomever. So um, talk to me about kind of what went through your mind as you were thinking through the, the ideal mix of practitioners you wanted to be a part of the part of Living Well Dallas and um, where it started and kind of where it is now. Yeah, so, you know, um, you know, looking at that mind-body-spirit connection, so if you look at the average person's, so well, I forgot what the last statistic was, but it's like 75% of people go to see their general practitioner because of stress. Mm. And what are they gonna, what do they have for you? Nothing. Lexapro, Xanax. Yeah, exactly. Some mag. sort of antidepressant. Right, right. So, so when you start looking at, and even if you just sit around, sit around one night with your girlfriends or your relationship partners and friends and listen to what people talk about, mm -hmm. right? So it's multifaceted. So when we started looking at what should healthcare really be, and some of this came out of my experience of watching my dad navigate the healthcare system and just how convoluted and disconnected and really yeah, a lot of the, yeah, it's frightening. Really, a lot of the times, whoever the patient is ends up talking to all these specialists and they have to. They have to communicate between them. The only person that's never been to med school, kind of a messed up. Scenario. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, so we looked at it and said, okay, so if stress is a main driver of people's illness, and it is, stress is absolutely one of the most large underlying problems for every known disease outside of something you might get from a bug like malaria. Right? right? So stress <laughs> okay. is your driver, right? 
So drugs don't handle stress. Right. Lifestyle handle stress and relationships and those kind of things. So, so when we started looking at it, we said, yes, okay, nutrition has to be a part of it because you can't get anywhere without good nutrition. You know, yes, we, we would like to have physicians in this role because obviously we need to be able to diagnose and prescribe and figure out what's going on. Sure. And then, and then when you look at it, we know we need, you know, some people that work on kind of the lifestyle piece and the mental health piece, right? So health coaches, um, counselors and, and uh, practitioners of that nature. And then the physical body, right? Massage and, and healing touch. People are so disconnected, we forget that we are very much like puppies, right? So puppies <laughs> pile up on, on each other. We are actually very physical beings, and we need physical touch, right? If you do yeah. not touch an infant, they will not develop emotionally, yeah. right? Infants don't so you're saying touched. that even as adults, we need to be physically loved as well? Yeah, physically loved. We need to hug each other, you know, and not everybody needs to do it with people they don't know, but, <laughs> of course, but we yeah. need physical touch, right? So even, sure. even massage might be the only healing touch that somebody might get. So when we started looking at it, we really came down to, so we need to address food, mood, life, like logistics and relationships and, and work stress and I hate my job and I need something new and all that stuff. Right. And, and like healing touch, right? So at the very fundamentals, it was that. Like we have to be able to address all those things. So when we started looking at the right people to put in there, it was, you know, physicians that understood biochemistry and functional medicine, functional nutritionists that could help really pull apart the biochemistry, health coaches and nutritionists that could help people just navigate how to change their diet. Sure. You know, the counselors to help people manage their relationships, their own internal turmoil and all those things and, and help them really move forward. Down to your life coaches, and we even have a professional organizing division. We have a group of people that will go into people's homes and offices and get them organized. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what I tell you to do, execution is the only thing that happens, right? Yeah. It, it has, it, this is a somewhat, can be, depending on how fast or slow someone takes and what their scenario is, can be somewhat of a complex issue. And so that means complex issues means complex changes. And we slow them down or speed them up, but you can't just come in, you're not getting a script. Right. Well, and it absolutely makes sense that, you know, it needs to be a multifaceted approach and you need to slow down or speed it up based on where they are. Mm -hmm. But this process, even I think about my own process and kind of going down this functional wellness path, I mean, it's involved drastic changes in diet and um, stress management, Mm -hmm. as well as the litany of supplements that I'm taking, um, which are all, you know, I'm seeing the benefits of all of that now. But um, I guess kind of let's start with the process. So mm-hmm. there's somebody new who says, all right, I know my child has ADHD or I have this rash and it won't go away or I have all these, these, I mean, I hear these things all the time, right? Mm-hmm. All these things. And they say, I want to find a different way. I don't want to take mm-hmm. prescription drugs. I don't want to be on antibiotics anymore. I'm tired of antidepre- antidepressants or I just want to be healthier. Right. Any one of those things. What is the process that someone would go through to begin work with a place like Living Well Dallas. Right, right. So I guess first off, we generally see adults, and we have a partner that we send small children to. Ah, right? good to know. Which okay. is good to know, yeah. So Good to know as someone who is employed here now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's, it's mostly because it's mostly we're kind of designed. Actually, at one point, we had pediatrics here with us. Okay. But you can imagine, you know, if most of your clientele is women between the age of 30 and 55. Yeah, it's all my friends who have kids. They're freaking out about their children, right? Well, well no. Oh, it's not even so much that you're coming here to get well and you're in a room with you know 10 five-year-olds 
that are all unwell, unruly, you know, and so a lot of it was we just chose to, to stay on the adult path. Totally makes sense. And make partners with, with our Imagine pediatric. that. You don't want toddlers and, and young children around <laughs> all the time. Imagine that. It's for the, it's for the peace and love of our patients because they're like, thank God I'm away from my kids for just a few minutes. No, it's true. That's what I used to think when I would go to the doctor. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so pleasant. I can just sit here by myself for, while I wait. You, yeah. I'll wait as long as you want me to wait to see the doctor. That's great. Exactly. Anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. Yeah, go on. So, so, um, so part, part of the way we're set up, we're a little different than a traditional medical environment where no matter what your problem is, you come in through a doctor first, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a couple reasons for that. One of the reasons is we believe in the innate intelligence of the person, right? So my staff up front is, is extremely well-versed, and the first thing they're going to do is ask a lot of questions to help somebody decide what they really need. Because a lot of times people call and they go, okay, I looked at the website, I need it all. <laughs> so we're like, okay, where do we need to start? Or just so, give me some supplements, please. Right, right. So, so a lot of it is figuring out where people need to start. So in many cases, they may come in initially like through to see like Dr. Mack or one of the functional medicine doctors or myself because they have some sort of critical issue that they're trying to work on. Sure. Right? But a lot of people may come in because they're like, I need Bowen therapy because I have back pain. And so they might come see one of our therapists for a bodywork technique. And once they learn about what, what is available to them here, then they might kind of move through the building. The majority of our patients come in through whatever way they need, even through counseling. They might come in sure. just because they're like, you know, my job is stressful. Um, what they love about living well is no matter what they really need, it's here. And no matter who you talk to or what services you're doing, we're all on the same page. We don't contradict each other. We don't, we don't tell you that the other person doing is wrong. And, and we also support each other. So often I might be seeing somebody that may be seeing even like one of our counselors or whatever, and we all know that they're maybe working on their love of their job. Right? We always call it love the one you're with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So I'm still going to ask, like, how's that going? So there's this level of support for the person that's not normally present. Oh, yeah. Well, you used to do that for me. Yeah. You would say, what's going on at work? Yeah. And you would start to connect the dots uh, and, <laughs> and know uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, and even when I came in, I think when I was in a really good place, mm-hmm. um, you said, oh, yeah, so something must have changed job-wise. I could just tell yeah. um, you were in a different place. So I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of value in being able to, you know, mm-hmm. again, connect with the whole person right, and right. what they're going through. And so, yeah, so we, so we really we come together in whatever way somebody needs to help them get well. You know, so some people may see just one person for a long period of time. Sometimes they see multiples. A lot of times they kind of move their way through the building, and then we just continue to be kind of their, their healthcare family for them mm-hmm. in support of them as a partner. So when you think about the, you know, the benefits or the, the impact that this model um, and your approach has made for clients, you know, what's the biggest, I don't want to say selling point, because that sounds like um, that's not what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to help people get healthier. But What's the biggest case for why you should go down this path of functional wellness? And maybe just give us the quick kind of definition of functional wellness before we yeah, go there. So, so functional medicine and then functional wellness. So I'll explain functional medicine. So functional medicine is really looking at the, the body chemistry and the body systems as a whole. Like we're not just a gastrointestinal system. We're not just a cardiovascular system. We're the whole system, okay. right? And they don't, act, they don't act in isolation. Well, the same thing is true for our entire lives, our body. Nothing acts in isolation. You know, so when you look at functional wellness, what you're really looking at is that depending on what's going on, you're giving time and effort to all those different areas of your body, you know, your relationships, your finances, your physical health, what you eat, what you think, 
your spirituality, all of that stuff. You know, we have the wellness wheel that we kind of look at. And that functionally, you have to be giving at least a little bit of attention to all of it so that wheel can turn, yep. right, if we put it on the ground. And so functional wellness really is addressing all of those pieces. Maybe not all at once, because obviously that could be overwhelming, but it's to address all those pieces. Sure. And for our clients, what's really interesting is when you talk to them, you know, I've had people that came in that, you know, have been on 18 different medications, been diabetic since they were 13, lost 100 pounds, got off of every medication in a year. Wow. Right? And it was through diet and lifestyle, period. Right? And But on top of that, at the same time, we were working on, you know, finding peace and joy in her life, getting out and experiencing life because she was waiting to, like, go find a relationship, do all this other stuff until something happened. So there was all this other stuff that was going on. So we not only were a partner with her in getting her physical body healthy. Right. But her whole life was transformed, right? That's amazing. Which is amazing. So that's the stuff I love to hear is when they're like, you know, I'm so physically healthy, but now I have a baby when I was told I couldn't. My relationship is better. I now have a job that I love. You know, it's that kind of stuff because that means the person as well as a whole, not just one part of it, not just the physical part. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you brought up the comment around, um, you know, I can now have a baby and I wasn't able to before. I was actually having lunch with a friend uh, the other day and said, you know, these, I wish... All these people who are struggling with fertility issues would recognize the impact that diet and stress and all these other factors we've been talking about actually play on that process with with their infertility issues. Mm-hmm. And we don't even think about those things, right? Like we just go to see a specialist. So it's yeah. sad. Um, but it is sad. So, okay, so let's put a positive spin on this. Uh, so, and I think about our audience, right? We're comprised of a lot of working women, working moms, who may be thinking to themselves, okay, I don't have time to go down this path of figuring out what's wrong with me or um, making systemic change in my life. You know, maybe even thinking through your own personal lens, what's the, what's the reason to go do this? So the reason to go do this, so I would say this, particularly if you're a mom. So let's step back, because the moms of the world are, are raising the next future leaders and the next future caretakers of the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's no more important person on the planet than mom. But mom is usually the last one that will do anything for mom. That sounds like most of my friends. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Right. everybody. Right. I, I've yet right. to meet one that's like, <laughs> everybody else laughs, my kids need to wait. Right? Because <laughs> obviously that's the part of the nurturing feminine energy that we have. But the truth is, it's the, it's the, it's the mask in the, on the airplane. You've got to take care of yourself because if you're not well, and that's mentally, physically, emotionally, all that other stuff. Yeah. That translates to the family system, right? And the same thing for a husband. A husband plays a role too, except mom tends to play a slightly greater role. But men are starting to shift more into that role. So that's both. another episode that Natalie and I are going to cover: is the your partner's role in all of this. But oh, yeah. that's okay. You yeah. don't have to cover that part today. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, so when you're looking at it, as so, you don't have to. That's. It sounds like we're going down this crazy rabbit hole, like they're going to have extraordinary changes to their lifestyle and diet, and they won't ever be able to eat fun foods. And that's not necessarily true. What what is very important with how we in particular in this group um, work with functional medicine and those kind of things is we always pace it at the pace in which the client can actually do it. Yeah. Now, would I love for somebody to kind of go all out? Like, let's go. Like, that's Let's eat great. black beans and lean meat and rice and green cruciferous vegetables all day long. Yeah, right. you'd be thrilled, right? Right, I'd be thrilled. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's got to be sustainable and something people can put into action. So I think... To demystify it and, and make it less frightening, it's important to recognize functional medicine and, and, and any kind of functional wellness is always individualized and always paced to the person's cap- capacity to do it. And, and that those changes 
are compounding, right? Right. So if we make changes, let's say we had 10 different things we needed to make change. Well, we aren't going to be able to do 100% of all 10. But what's interesting is if you do 10% on each one of them, your gain starts to get exponential. It's not a just 10% total. It's all of a sudden now we got 50% right. better. One so, piece influences the other. Right, right. So, so from that standpoint, to demystify it and de, de, you know, kind of keep somebody from being scared of it, is it's not as daunting as it sounds. Yep. Um, because you didn't start out all, you know, all in, all supplement, no yeast, no gluten. We didn't no, start No, we there. didn't. No, we started with, let's eat some carrots in the afternoon with some hummus, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right. Let's try to snack around 3 o'clock so we don't make bad choices. Right, so, right. So, so it, you know, and, and I say everybody here is very good at kind of interpreting and reading somebody and figuring out kind of where they can start. Um, so it's that. And then on the other side, you know, sometimes the tests that we do are non-traditional, and sometimes we might do quite a bit from a functional medicine and nutrition standpoint up front, but the long-term cost of staving off any kind of illness is extraordinary, right? So it's, it's not even more expensive, because a lot of times people perceive that too. Oh, it's expensive. It's not, because the cost of one cancer case or the cost of one heart attack is significantly more. Yeah, or the cost of having to be on a litany of prescription drugs prematurely, right? Before right. you are of the age where normal people go do those things. Right. And maybe you never have to be on them. Yeah, ideally never ever have them. Yes, let's, gosh, let's hope for that. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, well, I appreciate you kind of bringing us back to a positive place <laughs> um, because we could be depressed about the U.S. food system and oh, all yeah. those other things all day long. Um, but what I want to do right now is, is kind of bring us closer to, closer to a close. So I want to thank you for being on this episode of The Collective Voice. Um, I'm so excited for Natalie to get to listen to our interview and, and share her two cents and bring that to our listeners. And uh, would love for you to summarize a, a few key points from our discussion. Um, before we do that, can you tell our audience where they can find you and learn more about your work specifically? Sure. So they can find me on the web at Betty Murray, that's M-U-R-R-A-Y, Dot com. You can also look up livingwelldallas.com, and that's our center. And um, you can find everything there. And I do have some podcasts and things on there, too, and a few videos. <laughs> you have a few videos. A few you videos, do. yes. Um, and there's lots and lots of blogs. I've been blogging for, I don't know, six or seven years. So awesome. there's, lots of, there's a lot of content out there if people just want to read. Absolutely. And I think your book is a really great uh, place for people to start, especially if they're not living in the DFW area. Um, and that's available on Amazon. Right. They can buy it on Amazon, both Kindle or, or paperback as well. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Betty. And if you were going to summarize our interview around you know, three key points, that's typically mm -hmm. what we try to do when we close, what, what would you say those three key points are? Okay, so I would say the first key point is to think of functional wellness as addressing mind, body, and spirit for total wellness, right? That you yep. can't just pick one and not the other. Um, number two would be that if you were to look at one positive change you could make, and everybody could make this, is to start eating more foods in their natural whole foods form. That means fruits and vegetables, animal proteins, staying away from processed foods, packaged foods. Yep. That has an extraordinary impact um, from that standpoint. And then on the other side, if people are interested in really looking more at kind of root cause, why they may not be feeling well, that there are many opportunities they have to, to start delving into kind of the functional medicine and kind of functional wellness world, and that it doesn't have to start with an all-in, I need to go do a battery of diagnostics, that it might be that they just start to look at one area of their life 
and, mm-hmm. and start trying to address it, right? And to find a partner that really will partner with you, because medicine today has become a commodity of, in five-minute increments. And so you don't get a partner in your world. You get basically somebody that just throws a piece of paper at you with a, with a diagnosis on it and a prescription. And to me, medicine is the ultimate, and health, the healthcare field, is the ultimate customer service experience and it is the ultimate um, partnership experience and it, that has been taken out of the system and it should really be that. Yeah. Right? Well, and since you talked about kind of partnership and the customer service side of things, let's add a bonus uh, fourth point to leave mm-hmm. our audience with, which is around, uh, you know, your key takeaway from starting your own business mm-hmm. and going down this path. What what advice would you give you know, our listeners who are toying with the idea of going off on their own or, or making that plan to go down that path eventually? Yeah. So I would say, you know, definitely you want to do your due diligence and think it through. Yeah. Right? You know, definitely. I, there's always due diligence there. But... Most of the time, the fear that you feel is not the fear, this sounds so cliche, is not the fear of failure, it's your fear of success, particularly when we've come from the corporate world. Because mm. I, I mean, I had worked my way up in the corporate world, I had become this particular corporate entity, and it was really weird, because by the time I left, I was done, right? Yeah. I was so done, yeah. but as soon as I didn't wear that corporate label anymore, I had to go through the grief and death of that corporate label, even though I was super thrilled about my new nutrition label, yeah. but I had been this other person for 11 years. Yeah, it was a big part of your identity. Yeah, it was at some point, to some degree, was my identity because all I did was work. Right. right? Which is how I got <laughs> sick in the first place. So, so, so the other part of it is to recognize that it's through that transition, something better is going to be on the other side. It really, Absolutely. really honestly is. It's like anytime somebody has ever been let go from a job, they did two things. They opened up that position or that opportunity for somebody who probably was better suited for it. Yep. And it opened them up to a possibility they wouldn't have seen because they wouldn't have ever looked. Yep. Oh, now who's the career counselor? I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad we landed there. That's awesome. Um, Betty, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Please remember to rate the Collective Voice podcast on iTunes. And to learn more about our podcast and the hosts, you can visit Natalie's site at smalltownleadership.com and me, Joy Schwartz, at joyschwartz.com. And also on the Meet Our Team page of the Living Dallas website. Thanks again, Betty. Thank you. Joy and Betty summed up this episode very well, so much so that all I need to leave you with is that I hope you are as motivated as I am to think more holistically about your health. For those of you in Dallas, check out and spread the word about Living Well Dallas. For those of you outside Dallas, be sure to check out Betty's book, Cleanse, or check out functional medicine options in your area. Thanks for joining us and be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Joy Schwartz and Natalie Siston with The The Collective Collective Voice. Voice.